This is what the Apostle Peter writes, inspired by the Spirit of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation point. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven and the focus of our time this morning. Things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. These are incredible words. Incredible words by the Apostle Peter, a disciple of Jesus Christ, who himself had some very, very powerful encounters with angels. Numerous times in Peter's life where he encountered them. Once when he was imprisoned, an angel appeared. He encountered them in a vision where God spoke to him about the Gentiles and them being grafted in to this message of hope, the gospel, and even at the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So here he's writing this message about the gospel, which is the message we celebrate in the Christmas season. It's the message that we celebrate every Sunday when we gather. And about this message, he said the prophets wondered. They were inquiring. They were curious. They were wondering about the things that the Spirit of God was inspiring them to write. Can you imagine some of the prophets and some of the things that they were writing? I'm imagining that what happened to them at times was something like this. What is the meaning of what it is that I'm writing here? What is going on here? 
a king will be born in Bethlehem of Judea. What am I talking about? This, this one, this suffering servant who would come as light into darkness, who am I talking about? A virgin will conceive. What virgin will conceive? And how will that happen? What child is this? What child? What son? Who? What? When? Where? And Peter says, it wasn't only the prophets that scratched their heads in wonder. It was also the angels who scratched their head in wonder at the message of the gospel, this message that we celebrate at Advent. I think as we begin our season of Advent, that we can say this about this passage, that angels would say, I would love, just love, to be able to look into what the message of Christmas really is. Is that your heart? Let's take that posture, you guys, this year. Let's take that posture of heart. Let's really say to God, I want to look more deeply with curiosity and wonder at the message of Christmas and what it truly is and what it means for me. The beautiful story of Christmas causes angels to watch and wonder. That's what it should produce in us as well. When I say wonder, I'm referring to a feeling of amazement. Curiosity, often accompanied by a sense of admiration, a sense of awe about something that's remarkable or beautiful. Have you ever been struck with a sense of awe? Have you ever, kids, kids get this better than adults. Adults grow out of this. But kids will do this. If you spend time with little kids, if you have little kids, they have this sense of wonder about them. Just the littlest things can cause them wonder. A blade of grass can entertain a child for 15 minutes. But all you can worry about is when you're going to get time to mow it. Think about the last time you had like a sense of real wonder and real curiosity. This is how we should approach Advent. Like a child. So let's reflect and wonder this morning and let's think a little bit about angels. And I can say that this series was really born out of something that I heard Sinclair Ferguson preach. preached a, He preached on angels. And it really got me thinking. And I, I, he is one of my favorite preachers. Um, he's getting older now. He's got to be in his 80s. He's probably written, I think, my favorite book of all, The Whole Christ. If you haven't read The Whole Christ, you've got to put it on your list. But he got me thinking about this 
sermon series idea of looking at Advent through the angle and the eyes of angels, and particularly he has influenced this sermon as we reflect about angels. So what are angels? That's our organizing question. And we're going to end up by looking at what do angels long to see? Because this passage says these are things into which angels long to look. They want to see something. And so we're going to end by just pondering what is it that they're watching? What is it that they long to see? But what are angels? Let's unpack that. And my hope and prayer is that you have a sense of wonder as we ponder these things together. What are angels? Number one, angels are God's heavenly family. Angels are God's heavenly family. Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, his letter to the Colossians, and he spoke about Jesus, and he spoke about Jesus and what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He spoke about what Jesus accomplished through his death, his resurrection, and his, and his ascension, and what he spoke of was this work of reconciliation that God was doing, that God was doing to us. And we just went through in the beginning, we just preached through the fallenness of, of humanity, Gabe just referenced that in his prayer. That one of the things God was doing through the message of Christmas, through the message of the gospel, is reconciling a people back to himself. So Jesus was reconciling people to himself, but, he, but Jesus also tells us that he was reconciling people back to the Father. And so there is this sense in which we were a part of God's family, and now through the gospel, because we went astray, because we ran a belt, we, re, we rebelled, because we have, have kind of uh, reject, not kind of, because we've rejected God, we've, we've stepped away from the family, stepped outside of his care and his love. But Jesus, through his work, was reconciling us back to himself, back to the Father, bringing us back together, bringing us back together into God's family, bringing the family of God together because we'd become alienated from God and from the other side of his family. Now let's consider for a second, what's the other side of God's family? Have you ever wondered about this? Well, the other side of God's family is not like our side of the family. Our side of the family has a bloodline. So our side has, we have mothers and fathers who have children who become mothers and fathers and have children who become mothers and fathers and have children. So we have a family tree. We have a bloodline. The other side of God's family doesn't have a bloodline like this. The scripture refers to them. We referred to them last week in closing out our series in Genesis 3, these cherubim. These seraphim, archangels. And last week, we won't go to it today, but last week I read a section from Revelation 4 and Revelation 5 that gives us a picture of, of the heavenly Father on his throne surrounded by his heavenly family, which includes these living creatures that are surrounding his throne, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
And so we have this picture of these living creatures, but also in that picture of Revelation is a picture of another group of people. Though that group of people is the one that includes anyone that's in Christ. It's these people that have fallen down and are worshiping the Lamb forever. And so you see there's this picture, that Revelation 4, that Revelation 5 is a picture of God's family. God on his heavenly throne surrounded by these cherubim, these angels, and with those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ also there with him forever and ever and ever. Christmas cards are powering through the mail system right now. We got our first one. I, if somebody wants to beat the green slates, you're going to have to get up a little earlier in the morning. Every year, Advent starts for me. When I get my photo of the green slates on their summer vacation, we love, and I'm, we're terrible at this. I don't think I've ever sent a Christmas card in my life. I give notes, but I, don't, I just don't do this kind of thing. I love that you do, though. I get so many pictures from you, and then hang them on the, the stairs, and we look at them. But they're pictures of our family, right? You're sending pictures of your family at Christmas. And, and on Christmas Day, probably many photos, iPhones will be pulled out. We'll take photos of the grandparents and the children and the grandchildren and even great-grandparents. We'll, we'll have these photos of our family. And it'll be moments that we'll want to save, photos that we'll want to frame because this is our family. But God's family, we see, has two distinct sides to it. One side is earthly, terrestrial. That's you. One side is not earthly, angelic. You might say extraterrestrial. E.T. is real. <laughs> if you are a Christian... Your family photo album has extraterrestrials in it. You just won't see them this Christmas, but you're going to see them because you are a part of God's family, and God's family includes terrestrials and extraterrestrials. And this sermon getting weird, isn't it? You weren't all ready for this. What I'm saying is angels are God's heavenly family. I remember when, when I was a kid, uh, my first experience with church was this little Baptist church that we went to right, right next to Garnet Valley. And we used to sing this song, maybe some of you sang it, when we all get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. And we sang that song. And we sang it with, with there, was a, there was a joy in the church. So it was like the sense, like, that's where we're going. That's where we're headed. And when we get there one day, we'll all see Jesus and we'll shout the victory. But I'm saying today, you're going to see more than Jesus when you get there. When we all get to heaven, 
you'll be hanging with the whole family, and some of them are extraterrestrials. They are angels. And when you begin to see the way the Bible teaches us this, you will begin to notice things that you otherwise didn't notice. You will begin to notice that when Jesus says this, he means it. That when one sinner repents and turns to Christ to be satisfied and to be forgiven, that all the angels rejoice. Why are they rejoicing? For family. You'll begin to notice that when Paul says that there is an interest that the angels actually have that takes place in our worship gatherings. Can you believe that? Did you come in thinking today that the angels were actually interested in our gathering? I tell you that they are. The scripture tells you that they are. And it's not just because we changed the decor. It's because they're interested in what's going on with God's people. Because why? Because we're family. We've been joined together, one family, through the grace of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that that means is that no matter what happens to us, no matter what happens to you, this is true. This is a universe that is dominated by God and his family. And what does that mean for you? You're safe. You are safe. No matter what happens. Guys, no matter what ideologies keep creeping up that seem so opposed to this word that we love, we don't have to be fearful. We're safe. If you're in Christ, you're safe. And this universe is dominated by him and by his family. What are angels? Angels are God's heavenly family. What else are they? Number two, they are God's heavenly messengers. Angels are God's heavenly messengers. There are two words basically used for angels in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the word is malak, malak. It's translated angel. The word in the New Testament, angelos, angels. I might have used my Spanish accent there, of which I have not. So that would have been kind of miraculous in and of itself. Both of those words, though, mean messengers. They mean messenger. And one of the messages that angels declare over and over again is the glory of Christ. Angels are God's heavenly messengers, and they are spreading the message of God's glory. And the Bible is full of all the different ways that angels declare this message. Probably the clearest way to say this is this. Angels are the servant messengers and defenders of God's people. 
Angels are the servant messengers and defenders of God's people. Angels are messengers and defenders, messengers to and defenders of God's people. And this is something that I love thinking about. I've, I, I love pondering this. I hope you will too. When your life is over, And you get to play back the story of your life on earth and the ways that God has intervened in your life. You're going to be amazed. And you're also going to be amazed, I believe, we're going to be amazed at the number of times that angels intervened. Times that God sent angels to protect you, to defend you, to divert you, and you never, ever, ever know it. Haven't you had that experience? Have you ever looked back on your life and said, a split second earlier? A split second later? And my whole life takes on a different direction. And at once, you'll understand your Bible better that says that God has given his angels charge over you. The Bible says this, guys. I'm not up here just making this stuff up. I'm trying to preach God's word of truth to us. Christianity is supernatural. <laughs> We're going to have to deal with that. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to deal with the supernatural. God doesn't fit into the box that you create for him. Has given angels. God has given angels charge over your life. And he's worked out his glorious purpose for you through the work of his messengers. It's a great illustration in the Old Testament. I'm not going to read it to you. Some of you will be familiar with it. But it's just a great story. It, it takes place in 2 Kings 6. And Elijah has a little servant boy with him, and he sends the servant boy out to see how the enemies of the Lord have gathered against them. And the little, so he sends the little boy out to give him a report. The little boy comes back and says, we are doomed. Thousands upon thousands of chariots and horsemen and armies are arrayed against us. And Elijah takes the little boy by the hand, walks him back out to the scene, and then says, Lord, would you open his eyes to see the invisible? And the Lord opens his eyes, and he sees army upon army of angels. He was able to see what was invisible to the naked eye. God has given his angels charge over you. This should cause wonder. 
Angels are God's heavenly family. Angels are God's heavenly messengers. And finally, angels are God's heavenly watchers. Heavenly watchers. And and this is where we return to the passage and we see things into which angels long to look. What are they watching for? The video that we're going to be using through Advent that, that Carson created, uh, when, that, when that part of it was being read, there was a, a part that, and Lanya was reading it, where she said that God, angels are God's heavenly watchers. And then there was a scene. I don't know if you guys caught this, but I loved what he did there. And I don't know if he did it intentionally or not. But it was like you were soaring over this winter wonderland. You were soaring over these snow-capped trees in the mountains. And it felt to me like an angel was soaring over the earth. And that would be in keeping with what they do. They are watching. They are watchers. What are they looking at? What are they watching? Now, angels have a little bit of an advantage, at least some of them, because the Scripture tells us that they have a lot of eyes. They're weird-looking, some of them. They'll scare you. But with a lot of eyes, imagine what you could do with a couple more eyes. Right? You, like, this is logically true, right? If you have more eyes, you can see more. You can, you're more aware, or like, I would say it this way, that you can see more than one thing at a time. You can see what's happening in front of you and behind you. So angels, we know, are watchers. They're seers. What are they mainly watching? From the scriptures, I'll tell you, this is what it, it appears. They're mainly watching what God is up to. They're mainly watching and observing. What are you doing, God? We see it in creation. They were standing by. When they were standing by, they were created, and they were standing by as God, the Godhead, God in three persons, was having a conversation. Let us make man in what? Our image. And I think... When the angels overheard the three persons of God whispering, it probably distracted them from soaring and singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they started, who are they going to make in his image? What is going on? Another moment they heard God talking. Something is about to happen. The father says to the son, go. And the son says, I'm going. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm going with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'll guard you from the moment of your conception in the womb of the virgin Mary to when you breathe your last breath on the cross. And even when you lay in the grave until that moment when you open your eyes again. Imagine what the angels were thinking. Trace Jesus' life and some of the most crucial milestones of his life. And at each of them, 
you'll find angels present. There was a point in time where God said to the angels, just go to him. Just go to him. Go to him when he's born in Bethlehem. That his infant ears in that cradle in Bethlehem would hear the voices of angels, his familiar friends, his heavenly family. When God said, go to him in the wilderness when he was tempted, who took care of him? The scripture tells us that the angels took care of him. In the garden, in that moment of awful agony, God said, go to him. Only one went that time. How did he get that assignment? One. I've read of a pastor who said, when he gets to heaven, I always I think about this stuff too, like who do you want to see when you first get to heaven? I read about a, a Scottish pastor who, who said that the first person he wants to see in heaven is the angel that went into the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane and comforted Jesus. At the cross, where they said to Jesus, we're going to take your life from you. And Jesus' response was, you're not taking my life. I'm giving it. And do you know what he referenced then? He referenced to the ability that he had to rescue himself. And who did he refer to who might do that rescuing activity? Legions of angels. Armies of angels at my bidding. Now this is, if you, could see, if you were able, if you were standing there and you were able to see that, what you would have seen, what was invisible to the naked eye, is you would have seen armies of angels waiting to rescue Jesus. And I'll bet you they were on whatever they stand on the edge of. They were waiting. God, you just say the word. You just tell us, go to him like you did when he was born. You tell us to go to him like when he was in the garden suffering. You tell us to go to him. When, when, when he was being tempted in the wilderness, you just say the word. Look at how they're treating the Son of God. You just say the word. We're ready. And they never get the signal. They never get the order.
Why? Because his desire was to die for us in order to save us. So the question that angels probably ask at moments like this is literally, what on earth is Jesus doing? How could he possibly do this? Now we know that the, answers, the angels know the answers to these questions now, just like we as Christians. If you're a Christian, you know the answers to these questions now. But there's likely one more question that angels still ponder. They're looking. They're watching. And I'll bet, I believe, that there's a question that they're still asking. They're still scratching their heads over. Why don't they realize what he's done for them? Why don't they realize? That's got to be the biggest mystery to an angel. That's what they long to see. If Jesus has done all this for them, things that we as angels never get to experience, my question as an angel is, why don't they seem to realize that? If you ever meet an angel... He might ask you this. She might ask, I, I don't, there, yeah. I just dug a hole there, didn't I? If you ever meet an angel, be prepared for this question. What have you done in response to all that Jesus has done for you? That's the question they'll ask. How have you responded to what this Savior did for you on that first Christmas? That's a great question for us to ponder. How have you responded to what Jesus did for you on that first Christmas? How are you currently responding to all that Jesus has done for you? Friends, church, if we could live with that question, the angel's question, in our minds this Advent season, I believe it will be, bring a life-giving perspective to the entire season. In light of what Christ has done, how are you responding to that? Let's pray. Lord, We marvel and we wonder over your word. And Lord, you've helped us to see some things from your word today. I pray that you would take truth and pin it forcefully to our hearts and that we would be people who would ask that question, the question that I think the angels are asking. How have you responded to all that the Savior has done? And I pray, Lord, that one of the responses 
that would mark us as a church in this Advent season is a sense of wonder that is followed by a sense of deep, satisfying joy. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.